everyone. This is uh, Rich Duncan with Inkheist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-host, Shane Douglas Keen. And there's no guest tonight. This episode is going to be Shane and I just talking about stuff we've been digging lately, horror stuff, crime stuff, books, movies, and a little bit of an interview between us interviewing each other. So, Shane, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Rich. How are you doing? Pretty good, sitting in my recording studio. Yeah, your fucking closet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. I had the downgrade for this week. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, uh, you know, what kind of stuff have you been digging lately, music-wise, book-wise, film-wise, that you want to share with everybody? Um. Well, let me, let me start with... Uh, Book-wise, um, I've had a lot of luck with books lately. Um, I just read read one today by Chad Lutsky called uh, The Pale White. And yeah. that that motherfucker owned me. And, and it uh, also kind of made my eyes water a little bit. Yeah, that's that sounds like my kind of book. I've read a couple of Chad's books so far um stirring the sheets and the same deep water as you so i was i was definitely looking forward to this one and i remember when it was first announced by crystal lake that um you know that they said it was going to be a powerful one and it's judging from the synopsis and what you just said i have no doubts that i'm going to love this book it is a powerful one man it's it's a really quick read probably weighs in somewhere around 50 pages but it's just a massive gut punch of a story chad's uh chad's got some chops oh yeah if it's if it's gonna be like 50 pages i'm definitely reading that soon but yeah he he does um i the first one i read was stirring the sheets and you know that was one of the few books where the protagonist you know he was older and i thought that was so interesting but then just seeing how he handled his grief like i know some people they didn't really some a lot of people that i've seen responded well to it like in the horror community but just other readers like some of them are like oh you know this is weird or whatever but i wouldn't take any stock in that i think he handled it beautifully and you know, that book was like, I just devoured that thing. And even the same deep water as you, some people were like, well, this isn't horror, but I would argue it is just because of some of the things that happen in that book. And especially towards the end without giving spoilers, you know, that was, that was pretty powerful. I don't know if you've read either of those yet. I have not read either of those so far i've read of foster homes and flies which is fan fucking tastic um and the one he wrote with was it john bowden out behind the barn yeah i think so yeah that's another fucking heartbreaker right there brother yeah it's, (laughs) it's funny it's funny because um you know, we talked about this off air yesterday, but it, it's kind of funny. Like I read these two that you didn't and you read the others that I haven't read. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of got Let's key semi covered between the two of us. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, he's got a lot of material out there, though. There's still a, there's still a lot of lot of vein to be mined there. Yeah, I can't wait to go and read uh, the rest of the ones that I haven't read yet. So, uh, in addition to uh, Lutsky's books, I know you said you had a lot of luck with books lately. Are there any others that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, I actually have a couple of things I want to mention in that arena, if I might. Yeah. Um, one of them is, and do you have you read many uh, weird westerns? Not many. Um, I read Hunter's Hellhole, which I think he changed the title to Ghost Mine when it was re-released under Flame Tree. And then there was one by, oh man, I Michael uh, Michael David Keaton. Is, is that the correct author? He uh, is the author that um, helped with the pizza anthology. Uh, David Keaton, I believe. Yes. Yeah, it's been so long. I can't believe I screwed up his name, but I read that one. Um, but There's so many that, of these I... motherfuckers out there. We're going <laughs> to screw up names every now and then. <laughs> yeah, I just feel bad because it's like, man, like I wasn't expecting that. So like it was years that I read it. It was very good. But um, yeah, it's a genre that I am interested in, but I just haven't, for whatever reason, read very many of them. Yeah, that uh, that Keaton book that you mentioned, and I can't remember the title of that thing. Um, I think it was Max Booth at Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing that passed me a copy of that. And I loved that book. I thought it was fantastic. And Hunter's, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and uh, on Barry Carroll, we just talked about that with yeah. uh, Mallerman last week. Exactly. See, and you start talking about a subject, and all of a sudden it starts dawning on you. You know, it's like I read Dust Devils by Jans. Fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of his that I still need to read because I got involved with his books later on. So I, there's a ton that I missed. I have a couple of them, like of his older books, that I definitely need to get to soon. Yeah, that's one. If you don't have it, get it from get the Flame Tree version. Um, that thing is the most unique vampire story I've ever read. Very different from any other vampire story. Yeah, Um, I, I would definitely check that out because I dig vampire stuff, especially if it's a little little bit different. I know for a while there, it was, you know, almost like zombies where everybody was doing it, but there's been a lot of really good ones that, you know, do something a little bit different. So I know I would dig that one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think just about anybody in our sphere would would really dig that one. It's I'm confident in saying that. Um, and but the point being, we're talking about all these other books. The point being, <laughs> I just I just read a book by the aforementioned John Bowden uh, titled "Walk the Darkness Down," and it is a weird western. Um, and you haven't read anything like it, I guess is the best way I can, best way I can describe that. And I say that way too fucking much about things, (laughs) but, uh, but it really is true of this story. I mean, it really is. The title really tells you exactly what the story is about. 
because it's kind of like these dudes and this kid are literally walking this path toward some something and what it is is essentially evil incarnate um and it's just a very very interesting story uh really brutal but also just super super sad in its way because it's you know all these main characters in this thing including the antagonist are just majorly majorly fucked up people you know um which Bowden writes really well and uh he really bring he really brings his characters to life in that thing and i think that's why it was so fucking great to me because i cared about all these characters and their fate even even the bad guy and he was viciously bad i mean like we talked about smoke in unbury carol last week yeah um and this guy i think his name is levi i'm and you know my memory i could be it could be fucking Joe for all I know, really. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Levi. Um, and uh, he's he is, you feel for him just as much as you do for the good guys. Which is really fucking hard to do. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's that sounds like exactly my type of book and that's what i mean like i'm sure there's tons of great weird westerns out there it's just for one reason reason or another you know even with as many books as we read and all the other you know writers and reviewers that we follow that i just haven't really come across too many but i'm definitely going to check that one out i have a copy of it um because i heard nothing but great things about it um, yeah, yeah, that's one that you definitely want to get to while you're on this side of the dirt. It is well worth the time investment. Um, and if I can just really quickly, I'll, I'll give you the stage here in just a second. Let me really quickly mention one other thing, because I yeah. have I have a new-to-me publisher who is actually a new publisher um, called uh, Silver Shamrock. Yep. I know you've heard of them. These guys are putting out some amazing stuff. Uh, they put out one called In the Scrape by uh, James Newman and Mark Steensland, I believe is how that name is pronounced. Yeah. Um, that is a fantastic novella. And I've got another uh, another novel from them called Cricket Hunters, which comes out on September 1st. Uh I'm going to fuck up the author's name. I want to say it's Jeremy Hepler. I think uh, you got it. Okay, okay. Sorry, Jeremy, if it's not you. And if it is you, I'm sorry if I fucked up your name. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, those. I'm really, really looking forward to that one. I've read a couple chapters of it just because you know how I am, kid at Christmas Syndrome. i got to look at my fucking packages before it's time to open them. Uh, but... Um, I can I can already tell I'm going to be into that. These these guys have an eye for good fiction, you know. And they've got a they've got an anthology coming out in the near future that I don't recall the name of. It's something with midnight in the title, but uh, it's got a killer lineup in it. So, just wanted to drop that in there and let you guys know about this publisher. You should look them up. You should buy their books. And they're not paying me to say that. 
So, uh, same question right back at you, Rich. We have lost Rich. We have oh, lost no, me. No, I'm I'm bad. I'm back. <laughs> oh jeez, there's. <laughs> I forgot I muted myself. God damn it! You you pulled a fucking chain. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know if I'm even gonna cut that shit, motherfucker. <laughs> we we should leave it in there so people know. But it, I mean, we could discuss that later. But as I was yeah. saying to myself, um, I knew I knew you were gonna ask me that question, and it was funny when you were like, you know, real quick, if I can just add something about a publisher, I was like, he's gonna say Silver Shamrock, and sure enough, you did, and then you also <laughs> went right into the book that I was gonna mention, <laughs> which was In the Scrape, which, like you said, is fantastic. Um, I highly recommend everybody read it, whether you like horror, you like crime, coming-of-age stories, it's got a little bit of everything in there, noir, it's just perfect. Yeah, really, really, if you love genre fiction of almost any type, you're going to love that book. Yeah, exactly. And um, they did a really great job, you know, meshing their voices together. And, you know, I'm not sure because I'm not as familiar with Mark's work, but I know uh, James, he's done a whole bunch of different collaborations. And each one that I've read, he's able to work with the other author where you know, it makes one cohesive voice. And, and this one in particular, it's a very fast read. And when I was reading it, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Like I dug it, but I wasn't sure without getting too spoilery, if there was going to be a supernatural element to it, if they were going to play it, you know, straight. Um, and I definitely, definitely did not see you know, that third act and wow, talk about like, I was reading it and I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, what the hell just happened? And yeah, I was they... just in. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, I was just in there. Like I was totally sucked in for the last part. Like I was the whole way through, but particularly that final bit, I was like, I got to finish this in like one shot. Yeah. The third act was just a holy shit moment for me. Um, and honestly, that book read like the, like the books in the Fearing series read to me, just rocket ship fast, you know what I mean? Yeah, and man, the, just, and I liked too that, you know, the narrative, it's very easy to follow and straightforward, but I kind of liked how they would weave in, you know, little bits of almost like a, like a flashback element or like uh the characters reflecting back on it in the actual current timeline of the story right yeah and they and they laced it like you had like you kind of mentioned before they laced those first two acts with a lot of ambiguity like you said you didn't yeah it was really hard to tell where that story was going to land from where it jumped off and in the end, it turns out you just absolutely cannot tell until you get there. Yeah, that that one was good. And then, um, you know, I read so many. One of the one of the other ones that I read that I really enjoyed 
it, it's not a 2019 release at least it was released in i think a different edition but um was andy davidson's in the valley of the sun and that was you know it's a vampire novel but that's another one that i i really dug and i know a lot of people have but i liked how you know, there was definitely some creepy vampire stuff in there, and I'm going to actually be doing a review of this relatively soon, so I won't get too into it, but he adds a really cool element to the vampire mythology that, you know, I thought was awesome, but even if you took all of that stuff out, all the supernatural stuff, and this, this guy was just a guy who, you know, did bad things i liked how it focused equally on like the dynamic of the woman and the the child that he meets you know after he becomes a vampire like he did that so well and just just the quality of the writing like a lot of people they'll either say you know i'm a big character person or you know i'm a big plot person but i feel like sometimes setting gets overlooked like nobody's like oh i'm a real big setting guy but the way he captured you know texas i don't know i've never been there but it felt like i had been there and i love that kind of stuff like small town like she has the small town diner he did a great job with that and just the quality of the writing was outstanding um yeah and it was probably in my opinion the best vampire story since salem's lot yeah it 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 was very very well done and especially too you know it's not like a whole bunch of craziness which i love those books too but it's not you know like you've got an army of vampires running all around it was you know a small intimate story with you know I yeah, think maybe a, five char- five main characters, really. Yeah, and it's another one kind of like um, I was talking about uh, Bowden's book. Um, it's another one of those where um, it's a really, really human story. Yeah, and I think, you know, I like a whole lot of different types of horror. You know, the crazy shit with like monsters and you know all kinds of pandemonium everywhere and just total balls to the wall horror stuff but lately and i'm not really sure why this shift happened with me like i've been drawn to those sorts of stories you know stories where you know almost you know it almost reads like literary fiction you know that just happens to have genre elements in it if that right. makes sense. Like, I know they all kind of do to some degree. It it's makes a fuckload of sense, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to describe, but I'm sure people kind of know what I mean. And, like, I've been drawn to that in, like, smaller scope horror stories. And and the thing is, is that, I mean, in indie horror especially right now, that's exactly what a lot of people are writing is literary yeah. fiction that just happens to have a lot of darkness in it. Yeah, which, um, you know, kind of transitions me into my next thing, because um, I, you know, normally uh, 
I have watched a lot of movies, but nothing too crazy. But it kind of tied into one thing that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, it was about indie horror. And like you said, how it's literary horror that just happens to have indie elements. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. You know, a lot of people outside of the horror community. So, you know, we're kind of preaching to the choir right now. But I kind of feel like people look down on horror almost to some degree, like people who aren't already fans of it. And they're like, oh, you write horror stories? Ugh. And they like roll their eyes or, you know, they think you're like an evil asshole. But when you get right down to it, like you said, so many of these writers, you know, they're super, super talented. And I feel like if people could just get over their preconceptions about it they would find a host of just excellent writers like you said there's in the indie community and you know even horror authors who are in the mainstream there's just fantastic writers and I was just curious you know to get your thoughts on it too because I know you probably have quite a few just like I do um, yeah, well, like you say, I mean, if people could get over their preconceptions about the genre um, and really get over their own fucking pretense, you know, um, and not be so snobbish about it, um, because that's really kind of what you get from a lot of people, even as a horror reader. If, you know, if someone says, what do you like to read? And you say horror and they look at you like you just said you like to eat shit, you know, <laughs> And it's like, man, if you could get over that, if you could get over, you're screwing yourself so bad with that attitude because there's so much great stuff being written by indie horror authors and indie crime authors right now. Um, And if you're looking down your nose at it, you're just ripping yourself off, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like like too you know it's so hard what regardless of genres what i'm about to say but just for you know context we'll just stick with horror and crime and stuff but you know so many indie authors you know i'm sure people on the outside that don't really interact too much within the community but just like read the books i feel like a lot of people feel like you know oh they just write books But um, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, they have other jobs, you know, they have families. And I feel like, you know, sometimes it can get kind of disheartening because it's like, you know, some people are probably like, well, who's really reading these? But, you know, there's such a dedicated fan base. And I feel like, you know, if people would just. Yeah, it's almost cultish. Yeah, if people would just get over their misconceptions, you know, they would see just how great these writers are. Um, yeah, they they really would, you know, and it's but they kind of have a one two mark against them, you know, because okay, they're horror authors, oh my fucking god, uh, but even worse, they're indie horror authors, and who who the fuck reads indies, you know, and so they. <laughs> That's that's hard, too, because there are a lot of people who are as snobbish about indies as they are about horror. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. And that's what I was going to say. You know, it's so inspiring to see, you know, 
from the publishers to the authors, you know, just how hard they work, like, and how much great stuff is being, you know, built by these indie publishers and indie authors. And yeah, like, I know what you mean as far as like, they'll be like, oh, I've never even heard of this press. So they might set it aside, but I think it's starting to, like, when I first started doing this, it seemed kind of that way. But I feel like now, you know, indie publishers are starting to make names for themselves and, you know, really reach a wide audience. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so, too. You've got some pretty, pretty big ones now that people actually um, be just beyond the indie community. You're right. Um, are starting to take notice of these guys you know um, you've got what is it Leith is pretty big Crossroads um, is making a big big fucking impression Grey Matter Press everybody knows who Grey Matter Press is when I mention them you know and and I mean there's there's a big long list of that you know you nailed that right on the head as far as publishers go yeah and um this kind of is one of the things that I've always loved about this community and at least how I perceive it for myself is, you know, I listen to a lot of punk rock bands, underground bands, and, you know, I was into that whole scene of like, do it yourself. And if you think about it, that's what a lot of these writers do. And, you know, they may work with a small press, but even those small presses, they all have that same spirit and that I really identify with. And I think it's so cool that, you know, like I said, from the writers to the publishers, you know, the writers that have, you know, day jobs, maybe even more than one day job or families. And even to the publishers, they may have the same thing and they publish the books in their spare time. Or, you know, even self-published authors, they all have like that entra, um, and I'm going to butcher this word, entrepreneurial drive. Yeah. You nailed it. You fucking nailed it, Rich. (laughs) There you go. And I just really relate to that. And I think that's so cool. And, you know, something about that, that spirit, like that's what really, I think, speaks to me as a reader. Like, it's so cool to see that. And, you know, even with, like, our site, you know, that's partly where I drew inspiration for, you know, the idea of us teaming up together. It's like, you know, why can't we do this? Why can't we have a podcast or, you know, a blog? Or why can't we interview this person? Let's just do it. Um, Yeah, and really, I mean, like, we've talked about before i think i don't know if we recorded it when we were talking about it but it was really kind of taft's fault i mean that fucker kind of <laughs> tricked us into it you know because yeah. we said yeah sure we'll do this and he said audio right okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but i'm glad he did and i'm glad we did you know and uh we got a good thing going i think because we really enjoy ourselves <laughs> yeah and, uh, you know, there's a few people out there. Both of our listeners enjoy us, too. <laughs> <That's tough. laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I guess because it's funny because I kind of just gave that answer. But that's actually something I wanted to ask you 
because um, I watched this documentary on Shudder the other night. It was called Why Horror, and yeah. I can't remember the name of the guy who made it. And it was just an interesting look at, you know, the psychology behind like why people like horror, and it dives into some of it dives mostly into the psychological, but it was also bits and pieces of you know, people explaining their personal attraction to it. So I guess to pose a simple question, but also maybe a hard one to answer is, you know, why harder for you? That is a hard one to answer. It's just something that, okay, like when I was a kid, um, about, I think, 11 years old, I was reading things like, um, Jack London and Walt Morey and, you know, the three investigators. I don't know if that your, your generation even knows what that fucking series is. Um, no, I've never heard of it. <laughs> and then I saw this book on my dad's bookshelves and it had this really cool fucking cover on it. Um, and it ju- just was really intriguing to me. So I stole it from him. <laughs> and that book was Salem's Lot. It was the first horror novel I read and... um it was the last time I was that kid. I was a whole different reader after I read that book, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, you know, psychologically speaking, I don't know. It's really hard to say. There's something about the darkness that appeals to me. You know, if you ask you and you can tell that just by asking me what genres of fiction I like, because you're going to hear horror, crime, noir, neo-noir, you know, um, I like just, sci-fi if it's really fucking dark i don't like dark fantasy every now and then a grim dark fantasy will appeal to me um really super dark westerns whether they're weird westerns or just westerns um and i mean like read read a congregation of jackals one of these times by s craig zoller that book will change your life man (laughs) um and it's pure western but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can't really think of a motivation. It's just where, it's just where I live, you know, it's where my imagination lives and where my own creativity lives. And it's just, sometimes it's the simplest answer is just, it's, it's just what I am. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. Cause I'm kind of the same way. Like it's funny <clears throat> I, it's not really why I was drawn to it, but it's, you know, funny. I would watch like these horror movies as a kid, like Friday the 13th and, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and on and on at a very, very young age. You know, it's funny. You talk to a lot of horror people and they always go, you know, I was watching these movies probably earlier than I should or reading these books earlier than I should. And it's funny because I loved watching them, but I would sometimes I would get terrified. Like one time I was so I was so adamant and, you know, I've come to watch it. But Candyman, like I read the synopsis for Candyman. I'm like, I've got to rent this movie. And someone was like telling me about it. And I I forget how old I was. I was probably 11, maybe. 
And I got so freaked out that, you know, I rented this movie and it sat on my dad's kitchen table for a week because I was too scared to watch it. And it just went (laughs) right back to the video store or, you know, when I watch the Blair Witch Project, which people either love or they hate. I loved it. It felt so real to me. You know, I watched it real late at night. My dad's house bordered the woods and he was like, oh, can you take the trash out? Well, he lived, in like a, he, he lived in a housing complex and his house was further down the lane and they had like a communal dumpster where they would take their trash. I grabbed that trash bag. I ran, I tore ass down that, like there was lights out there, but it was still pretty dark. You've got, you know, the crickets chirping, branches snapping. I tore ass down that driveway. The lid was already open. So I, I hammer through that thing. Like I just you know, got a running start, swung it a couple times and launched that son of a bitch right in the trash can and then tore ass right back in the house. Uh, uh, immediate U-turn, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, it's funny. Now I watch this stuff and, you know, there's movies that scare me and yeah, I'm older, but I enjoy it now. Whereas yeah. then I still enjoyed that movie, but I was fucking terrified. I'm like, what did I just do to myself? <laughs> yeah well and i think too that was another part of i guess both of our formative years is what you said about um the movies you were watching at such a young age because i mean i had like a mailerman style dad and he like josh said it today that today children's services might get involved you know <laughs> but i mean i i saw some brutal brutal fucking movies with my dad he, he'd take me to just about anything you know and so i had a pretty thick skin by the time i was 15 years old you know yeah <laughs> but so that i mean but that's kind of relating to your earlier question that kind of is part of what probably formed me as a as a fan of horror fiction too yeah and you know i always think that's interesting you know, just to see, because, you know, there's some horror authors out there where, you know, they're very easily scared and you're, you all, you're like, well, you write all this stuff. How could you possibly, you know, be scared? But, you know, everyone has like, there's still stuff that scares me, like the whole alien thing. It's not as bad as when I was younger, but if I, God forbid, I were to see one of those things out of my window, you know, like coming down here, or like, shooting a beam in my window i'd be scared as fuck <laughs> i'm yeah the funny thing about that is I, I i don't have a lot of things um that i'm super scared of it's one of the one of the curses of being an atheist um but with aliens uh i believe there is such a thing i don't believe they'll ever visit here if they ever do visit here i will crawl under my bed and cry yeah, same, yeah. <laughs> same here. And, you know, that's what's funny is, like, that's how scared of them I am as well. But I love reading those books. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. I don't know. I think with me it's, uh, like, and maybe it's a Pacific Northwest thing, but my aliens are Bigfoots. Oh, yeah, Yeah. that that would probably scare the hell out of me, too. (laughs) uh, They don't don't really scare me so much as I'm fascinated by the story, and I love reading horror that includes them in it. 
you know um i spent so much time out hiking and sleeping in the woods by myself that if you're afraid of bigfoot you're not going to survive it just because you're going to have a heart attack you know (laughs) but uh i mean um back to your point though about aliens and then mine with the with bigfoot i think everybody has a little bit of a horror trigger yeah you know, um, I forget who it was who told us he, that he's basically afraid of everything. I think it was actually Mailerman who said that. Um, someone on one of our podcasts told us that. But you're right. Horror authors are a funny breed of people. Because um, I've had horror authors tell me, oh, I don't ever watch horror movies. They scare the fuck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty interesting that it goes that way. Um, God, I lost my question, Rich. God damn it! I talk my I talk too much. <laughs> uh, it's all good. I'll uh, I'll hit you with a follow up then. Um, you know we both read a ton of books, different subgenres of horror, even outside of horror. I was just curious though, particular with particularly with horror. You know what is one type of novel? that either you think is underrated or that you wish there were more of? Oh, um, I don't know. I, that's a hard question. That's a really hard question. Cause when I think about it, I mean, I think about guys like, um, uh, Norman Mailer, you know, who wrote executioner's song and people like that. They're kind of, Ungenred, but not necessarily pure literary either. I don't know how to explain that. Um, I think I know what you mean. And those books got a lot of attention when I was a younger man, a uh, much younger man, um, still you know closer to closer to life than death at that point in time. Um, but now so much, those types of books don't seem to get even really published or get a lot of attention. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting one. Uh, I don't think I've read many like that, but I think I think that would be interesting to see, you know, just what kind of stories, especially now, would come from something like that. Right, but, but at the same time, a lot of indie horror authors, that's all they do. A lot of them don't ne- don't even sit down to write a horror story they sit down to write a story and it just comes out horror right yeah that's a good point now i have a question for you yeah um this is something we've talked about a lot uh and that is and you've mentioned it here and that is um noir elements in horror fiction oh yeah i love that we've both read a lot of stuff that has a lot of that stuff in it. Um, what are what are some of your favorites, and what what appeals to you about them? I'm glad you asked. Uh, first, I'll tackle. I'm one. glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I sound like you know a politician <laughs> or something. I'm, I'm glad you asked kidding. that question. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll tackle first what I like about it. I think it's partly because they just go so well together you know 
you can easily incorporate elements of one into the other, whether it's mainly a horror with noir elements or a noir that has a little bit of horror elements to it. And just because they're both dark and there's just something about like noir, like the grittiness of it that appeals to me. And I feel like it helps amplify the horror elements to it. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's just kind of hard to put in the words. I think those are the big things that appeal to me about it though. Um, yeah, really me too. And I, I mean, it's something, it's a subject too, and this, you'll probably get what I'm leading up to now when I, when I mention this, um, that if you, if you flip that around and you take a straight crime novel, you know, straight crime noir novel, um, and there are some writers out there who can take on a novel like that and scare the fuck out of you with it. Like you just read a horror novel, you know, or at least, I mean, it's, and what, what I'm talking about here, mostly most recently that I've read the type of book I'm talking about is, um, like Laird Barron's Isaiah Coleridge series. Um, and then, uh, what was the one by Robert Dunn, uh, dead man's hand, right? Yeah. Um, those both were pretty much straight up all, all three really, cause there's two Coleridge novels are pretty much straight, straight up crime novels, but they read like horror novels, really. Um, especially the, I mean, I don't know the uh, dead man's hand, especially. Yeah, that one I have yet to read, but I want to, but yeah, I love I love what that what am I the style you're talking about? Like I know exactly what you mean and you know, that's you know, like the second Coleridge novel. You know, you've got that you've got that mythological almost, you know, assassin. Yeah, that everybody's afraid of and you know, just brutal weird shit that he does to people throughout that like built him into that figure but um another another one of my favorites that i have to mention because it feels like not enough people either read them or talk about them i have a feeling it's probably more that they just don't talk about them as much but uh john foster's novels especially for me like mr white is still one of my favorite favorite books i mean taking you know the espionage spy thriller elements and just coming up with a terrifying you know horror i i don't want to spoil it too much but you know a horror antagonist with you know a rich almost like folklore-esque backstory and like the action of a spy thriller it's still i'd say if i had to make like a current top 10 list that would definitely be on it um yeah really i i think uh that's the same for me that book would actually be pretty damn high on it yeah and you know even the aisle his most recent one that's another excellent excellent one and yeah those two 
those two are great, but yeah, for me, Mr. White, I don't know if he will ever, and, you know, I hate doing things like that because you don't know an author's intent. I hate being that guy that'd be like, well, you should make this into a series and make that into a series, <laughs> but that's just the kind of greedy reader that I am. I, I would love to see him revisit that and then, like, even revisit the past, like, when you learn about, you get those little snippets of, like, the people that dealt with Mr. White, if the way he writes those and the way he combines those noir elements with horror, I feel like if he were to revisit that world, but even set in the past, like maybe when they first start interacting with him, oh my God, that'd be like the greatest book I ever read. Um, I Yeah, I would be fascinated by an origin story set in that particular world. Yeah, um, that, that would be so damn good. A lot of potential there. And like you say, that's not anything where I'm saying, John, you should do this. But, John, if you yeah. ever do do this, I'll read the fuck out of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like I said, I hate being that guy. Like, I know sometimes authors are like, God damn it, they just want me to write this. Or, you know, why does everything got to be a sequel or a series? But, you know, I get greedy like that sometimes. And I think that just speaks to you know, how much I love something is when I go, oh man, I would love to see this made into a series. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, well, number one, agents, when they see a, a particular thing make some big fucking money, they want you to write 20 more of those particular things. <laughs> yeah. But another thing is, is on the author's part, as far as series, I think so, some authors are more prone to it. And some authors just aren't interested in going in that direction at all, you know. Um, I mean, look at, like, Laird Barron seems to have almost almost organically made a series out of the Jessica Mace stories in his short horror stories. Um, she's in there repeatedly. And um, if you read Swift to Chase, she's in easily half to two-thirds of the stories in that book. Um, and like I say, I think that was kind of an organic thing more so than a planned thing at first. Yeah, I'd be, I'd, you know, and I'd be curious to like see how different authors would respond to that same thing. Cause you know, it's kind of like when we, last week when we were talking about Mallory and how, you know, he felt like a kinship with that character so like you said, it was just organic because he related so much with her. So it'd be interesting to see like how other authors view that. I have a feeling it's probably a lot of the same way where they might not be setting out to do a series, but they're like, man, I really connect with this character. You know, I have to put them in, you know, this story or this novel. Right, right. Well, and it's like, and I've talked to him a little bit about it, and I keep going back to this name, but it's a perfect fucking example, um, is, um, I totally just lost my fucking thought there. It was, I was talking about Laird Barron. Oh, we've actually discussed that some, and he pretty much agrees with you on that. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, that's probably how most people would view it um but like i said i'm not entirely sure but um 
So I wanted to ask you something, um, you know, most people didn't know, but, you know, I kind of spoiled it last week when I said that we were going to work on something together as, as far as a story. But, you know, you've also said that you write poetry and you hang know, on just a second, Rich. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, ju I just want to warn you that you may hear barking in a second because my dogs are about to go outside and whenever they do, they bark <laughs> like fucking freaks. So, yeah, no worries. Anyway, go ahead and finish what you were saying to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. So, yeah, I was just asking, you know, I spoiled it last week when I told people that we were writing on something together. But, you know, you've also written other stuff prior and poetry. And I was just wondering, you know, what type of stuff do you like to write? Like, I have a feeling I already know the answer. Uh, you might you might be surprised. All right. Well, good. And, uh, you know, what uh, what drew you to that? You know, what what was the thing that made you fall in love with writing? Um, lyrics. I started started writing song lyrics when I was probably about 12 years old. And um, I wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shitty fucking songs um and that kind of segued later in life into poetry and now i write you know as you know i talk about i write tons of poetry a lot of bad poetry some that i think is pretty fucking good but i've yet to share with the world just like music because i'm i'm a coward um but you'd be surprised at to know that my poetry is very, very dark, but it's not horror poetry. It wouldn't qualify. Yeah, that does surprise me because, like, I knew you wrote poetry, but I didn't know what kind. Like, I like more so I knew probably what appealed to you about the stories, but I think that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's just really, I kind of... I write emotions more so than sensations or or visual, you know, inputs. Yeah. Um, what I, what I mean by that is like I don't know if you've read uh, Stephanie Whitevich's poetry, and I probably just massacred her last name, um, but she writes technically horror poetry, but really, what when she's writing and she writes very very dark and wonderful shit. Um, she's writing experience. You know, she picks a muse that has something to do with her life and writes to that muse, whatever that muse may be. Um, but there's not a lot of supernatural elements in it or anything like that. There's just a lot of brutal honesty and it's very, very dark and sometimes scary. Yeah, I've read uh, I've read some of her poetry, and you know, that's the other thing. That's one thing I'd like to read more of because I don't read a lot of it, and it's not because I don't like it. It's just you know I'm not really sure, you know, what would speak to me or whatever. But like I definitely enjoyed hers, and I look forward to trying to read more of it and branch out into more of it. Yeah, I'm looking something up here, see if I can find the name of this book while I'm talking to you. So if you hear my keyboard, I apologize. Um, <laughs> um, 
toward the end of his life, uh, a lot of the poetry that um, Tom Piccarelli wrote, uh, I think, would really, really appeal to you. Um, and and yet, at that stage in his life, it wasn't so much horror poetry as it was just really super honest poetry, often super heartbreaking poetry, but beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, and there's some of it in a book. Um, I can't find it though. I have it somewhere. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, okay. There's a there's a book that is partly short stories and stuff and partly poetry and the poetry in it is really super good but so if you guys want to look it up look it up i don't know the fucking name of it right now but (laughs) (laughs) um so rich uh you want to tell people about about our uh our big radio station (laughs) yeah so (laughs) you know shane and i um for a while we did Sunday slices and we kind of got busy and haven't done them as much, but when we were doing them pretty much every, every week we would put like an artist on here, an artist on there. Um, so, you know, we're always trading music back and forth and like, for instance, the podcast, that's kind of what started gearing it that, direction we were looking for something more than just generic sound effects um and uh one of my facebook friends uh billy thompson he's in a band called secret smoker and that's the band that um leads into the podcast the songs crushed by air um that we were trading files back and forth prior to you know asking him if we could use that song and Shane was like, man, I've been listening to a lot of punk stuff lately. And I was like, oh, you know, I love that stuff. And I was like, here's a couple artists, you know, you may not have heard of or whatever. And, you know, he always sends me stuff that I may not have heard of. So we just decided to make, we made a collaborative playlist um, and shared it with each other. And then we're like, you know, we always shared music with our readers on Sunday slices. Why not just make this massive playlist and then share it with everybody. So pretty soon, um, probably after we record this, it'll be up on our Twitter and everything else about where to listen to it. It's on Spotify. We call it ink heist radio. It's not really a radio station. It's just one giant playlist. Um, Shane and I both added stuff to it. It's got a bunch of different genres, bunch of from a bunch of different decades. I think I think yeah. See, because I'm an old fucker and Rich is a young guy. See where he's going with that? <laughs> no, you know it's <laughs> it's funny you say that because I don't remember if I told you this the other day, but I was like we should have a contest and based off of the songs that are on there, see if people can tell which one of us put them on there because you'd be surprised. There's some songs on there that people may not have thought I'd put on there that, you know, I did. And there's a lot on there that people would go, that old fucker didn't put that on. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it would, I think it'd be interesting, but it would also be kind of hard because I think right now we're currently sitting at 
I don't know, like 260 songs. Well, that was last night, and I know you've added some uh, since. It's at 282, I think, now. And growing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so... But yeah, you have to be really, really in the mood for an eclectic ex- music experience, because if you put that thing on shuffle, you're going to get some strange segues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was... You know, when I was listening to it earlier, you had the Stevie Ray Vaughan song, it popped up, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was digging it, and then it segued straight into, like, Fugazi, and then (laughs) it segued into that uh, Blackfoot track you put on there, (laughs) and you would think, like, wow, that that makes, like, no sense as a transition, but I'm like, wow, this is actually, you know, pretty cool. I'll be be interested to see how many listeners... Um, ping me and let me know that they already knew who the fuck Blackfoot was before you said that band name. <laughs> yeah. People in I, my age group will probably say, oh yeah, I, I love those guys. People younger, because that was really the only album that they had any success with, aren't going to know much about them. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, like, you say that. Because I, I was thinking, like, I think people enjoy it because it's not all one type of music. But, like, some of the stuff on there, which, you know, none of it's bad or, like, anything like that. But some of the stuff is kind of different and unique. I was like, I wonder how many people be like, oh, okay, well, I like the podcast and I like some of the Sunday Slices stuff. Let me check this out. And then they go, Wow these guys like some terrible shitty music. Yeah, these, these guys are <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and un, uh, unsubscribe to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. As soon as they seg, as soon as they segue <laughs> to an alt country song by dead West straight into a fucking, um, uh, thrash punk song. You know? <laughs> I had yeah. that experience earlier listening to, one of uh like blackberry smoke songs and then it segued into um i think a rancid tune that i put on there you know and it's like even me who put both those songs on there went what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny too like i fired it up earlier and i like the song but like i remembered looking at this playlist and seeing what songs were on it, and I don't think you had added it at that time. It was when the Stevie Ray Vaughan song came on. I dig that song, but I didn't know it was on that playlist. And at first, I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, did I hit the wrong playlist? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that, too, because I don't remember what band it was that all of a sudden I went, no, this isn't the stuff that Rich has been adding. <laughs> and it wasn't something I added, but it's just that's the way our minds work as far as music goes. We're all over the place with that. Yeah. Yeah. That and it doesn't help that I have like 900 other things that I added there. Like I have different playlists. So like that Stevie Ray Vaughan song wouldn't have sounded out of place on some of my other playlists. <laughs> uh, if you like his stuff, look up some of that uh Johnny Winter stuff that I put on there. Oh, definitely. I, I definitely will. Like, um, I was so glad that you added all that stuff on there because I do dig that stuff. But like I said, I 
I don't really know enough about it to be like, oh, okay, well, I like this. Let me, you know, find this artist or this band. So that's that's another thing that I think people who listen to it that they might like about it is they'll be exposed to a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I was just mouthing to my wife that I wanted her to get me a beer. So, <laughs> and I just, I figure I'll just give myself away since... <laughs> No. I was going, get me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, actually, that's a perfect segue. Um, sorry, I'm going to make your editing job a little tougher, but do you mind if we take a quick break? Like a minute or so? Uh, you're just really fucking me up, Rich. Um, yeah, yeah, we could, we could, we can uh, just, uh, I'll just pause the recording and then we'll start recording again. It's not going to fuck with things too bad. All right, sounds good. Sorry, man. <laughs> no problem. And I'm pausing. Um, after an extreme laughing fit, we have managed to return to the show. Um, and Or whatever the fuck you would call this thing. And uh, we were talking offline for a few minutes. And this is one you guys can think about, too. And, you know, tweet, tweet us your input on this but when we talked about Laird Barron we're you know Laird is a guy who writes a lot of crime right or not a lot of crime yet but he's written some really significant crime in the Isaiah Coleridge novels but he also writes a lot of horror and we were talking what other authors do we know of that swim in both pools um and one that's already been mentioned uh is uh, Tom Piccarelli? He swam in both pools, and I mean, some would are what some purist would argue that I'm an asshole for saying this, but he was a better crime writer even than he was a horror writer, and he was a fucking great horror writer. Um, but then we start thinking of others. I mean, I know John Foster writes crime and horror, but he hasn't published the crime yet. He's published the horror, but he's a damn good crime writer. I've read some of that. Um, and I know there are several others, but I'm drawing a blank on that. So if you guys have any input, give it to us because we want to talk about that some more. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I just want to mention how jealous I am that Shane got to read those foster crime stories. Um, yeah, suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, too, you know, I wonder, and because I'm new to him, too, um, I wonder if Alan Baxter has ever written any straight crime stuff, because, like, the crime elements of Manifest Recall, mm -hmm. I, I really dug that. Uh, you want to call Shane and Rich idiots now? Before <laughs> we go into, I'll forget this, this is why I'm bringing this up. Um, what about Robert fucking Dunn, man? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, he I, writes a ton of both, and he does it really well. Yeah, I I love his work. Um, I haven't read Dead Man's Badge, but I read um. The That's what it was. Badge. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, like I've read more of the horror stuff, but yeah, he does. I love his stuff. Um, yeah, and then back to your point, what you were talking about before I so rudely cut you off. You should you should plan on that over the years. I'm just that way. Um, 
But uh, back to Baxter. That guy, I mean, yeah, his 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 stories, all that all of them that I've read are horror. Um, but they read like crime novels. Yeah. yeah. Especially the one you brought up, Manifest Recall. Uh, that's uh, definitely, definitely heavy, heavy, heavy crime elements, noir elements in that one. So um, it would be interesting to see. I don't know if he ever has. Yeah, which, you know, that's one thing I'd be interested, interested to see is, you know, any author but I'm just using his work as an example. If he didn't ever write just straight crime stories, it oh. I would be surprised because it seems like it seems very natural. Like it seems like he has a total talent for it. And I would be interested to see, you know, authors, even if it's not published, like how they capture you know, the elements of that genre, the tone, the voice in their works, you know, if it's, say, like a hybrid, if they never really tackled that style. Like, I think that is an interesting thing to think about. Um, Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, at least they're avid students of it, at the very least. A guy like Baxter couldn't write the stuff he writes if he doesn't, if he didn't read a lot of fucking crime fiction. You know, and and Foster's the same way, you know, and really Foster is the one. He kind of educated me in the crime genre because the stuff I thought was crime was just mainstream crap for the most part compared to the real goods, you know. Um, But, yeah, sorry, I got totally sidetracked there. I agree with you. They must have at least experimented in that arena to write it so well like that. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I like about horror. And we kind of touched on this last week too, with, you know, elasticity of the genre and everything is you can pretty much take just about any genre and like incorporate it into a horror story. And one thing that I like seeing, you know, whether it's intentional or not, like they wanted to try that at the outset or that's just how their stories developed, is sometimes seeing authors, you know, incorporate elements from different genres and seeing how that, you know, plays out through their own work. I guess um, it's kind of a crappy way to put it but basically i just like how you know you'll read a book by an author and it might be you know one thing their next book they might incorporate different genre elements and just seeing their take on those types of elements is something that i like about the genre um yeah and there's some interesting prime examples of that out there right now um like uh brian evanson have you read any of that guy's work? Yeah. Um, particularly the one that sticks out to me the most is, I think it was called Wind Eye. Yeah. Fucking great story. Great book. Yeah, I think I read that in the, the New Black, if I remember correctly. The anthology that uh, Richard Thomas did. Yeah, the, the uh, outstanding anthology. Um, 
that was really my that was my first introduction to uh, this vague thing we call neo noir now. Um, and then I read then I read Evanson's collection Wind Eye, um, and that was an eye opener because it it speaks to your point, and even more so, um, Song for the Unraveling of the World, his newest collection. Um, that thing has every fucking genre you could imagine in it, but they're all horror. Yeah, and that that's, like I said, that's one of the coolest aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. and J.S. Brucklar is another example of that. Um, she writes all over the place, and while she's doing it, she scares the crap out of you, you know. So, good point, good point. So, Shane, uh, I don't know, how much do you think we should reveal about our actual, our own writing project? I don't know how, I can't even remember how much of it I spoiled last week. But. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a strange little story that feels like it's probably going to be at least a novella. Um, just based on what we've brainstormed so far. And that's just a feeling I have. Uh, I don't know how much we want to reveal about that. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think we've got a great character um, that was born of another project recently. Um, and I think we've got a great, great story idea, a great plot that we've laid down. Um, and I'm just vague, vague, tweeting, talking, vague podcasting. What the fuck would you call it? <laughs> um, because I'm not going to tell you guys anything else about it that, you know, I mean, except, you know, think of utter mayhem in a drug rehab facility, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and that's all I get, all you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The reason I asked wasn't so much to put both of us on the spot about the actual plot points, but um, it was more to just talk about, you know, the writing process, because I'm sure we're not the only ones, um, you know, people who run blogs or, you know, stuff like that, podcasts that, you know, are into writing and want to write stuff. But my own path to writing, it's I just kind of wanted to tell people, I guess, more about the process of us like sending the ideas back and forth. Because when I was younger, I used to have like all these ideas and I'd be constantly jotting stories down and, you know, just reams and reams of them making my own little books. I'd hand draw the covers and everything. And it seemed like as I got older, I for one reason or another, like I lost that part and it was just interesting. Um, some people know, some don't. I wrote my first short story in years around last year, around National Novel Writing Month, I think it's called. Um, and I wasn't ready to commit to something that big. So I started with the short story. And that's how I got back into it. But I feel like working on this with you and those ideas, it's just interesting to see, like, 
bouncing the ideas off of each other, like how it ignites that spark again. Like I told you the other day when I pulled over on the side of the road and I was like, I got to jot this down for our project. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's a, it is an interesting process. I mean, if you wanted to delve even a little deeper into it, the way Rich and I are doing it, um, is that uh, we have a, a folder on Google Drive. And we have a few docs that we're collaborating on in there. And either one of us can see things being changed in real time if we're there. And if not, we get notifications in our email. Um, so it's kind of an on-the-fly process sometimes when we're both sitting at our computers and available. Or in Rich, Rich's case, because he's a kid on some device or other and available. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm too old for that shit. I can't type on those things, but, uh, in all seriousness, um, with each set of collaborators, it's different is what I've found so far. Like Bob Pastorella and I, yeah, we're working on a project together that you know about, um, for this is horror. But when we, when we're the writing the stuff we're writing he'll write a part and then he'll pass it off to me and i'll take it from there and go wherever my brain goes with what he's written and then i'll pass it back to him in the in the case of this last one and um he polishes off the end and there you go we just traded it back and forth not really a whole lot of talk about what we were going to do in advance and it came out to be a pretty fucking good article I think, you know, but but the point being is with you and I, the way we're working on this, it for both of us being so raw and green at this right now, um, it really gives us good structure. It gives us good communication um, and it's almost as much fun as writing, brainstorming this stuff out, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, how each collaboration is different. Like, I'd be curious to see how some of these collaborations go, but like you said, um, it's funny when on Twitter and stuff, you'll see a lot of times, like the question authors get asked the most, or at least one of the questions they get asked the most is like, you know, how do I become a writer? And, you know, right. the answer is usually, you know, read a lot, write a lot. And yeah. that is a big part of it. But like I said, I don't know how this will fit necessarily into what I just said. But like that is a big part of it. But I feel like, too, for me, it is doing that. But also it's like somehow finding what about writing excites you like. I said I used to write constantly, and for one reason or another, like, I lost touch with that side of myself. And then, you know, for people, without spoiling our story, it almost kind of started off as, like, a joke. But, like, we took it serious, but we're like, oh, this would be, like, you know, a cool take on horror. And then that little spark of excitement, it just opened those floodgates open all over again. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, and it it was really a small, small spark. We made a joke about fucking magic mushrooms, 
in in relation to that other project that I mentioned, and I think it really w- was born of that little laugh session we had. Yeah. Um, you don't have to give like a ton of answers, but if you could pick like maybe two books that you really dig that you think more people should read, whether it be horror or crime, which ones would you recommend? Um, so like lesser known, either, you know, newer authors or just books that, you know, you don't really see too much buzz about, I guess. Um, you know, actually it's kind of funny. Um, you mentioned that and what comes to mind is, uh, two Latino guys that we're both familiar with. Um, and one is not a super unknown really, but one that's kind of both. There's some crime in there. There's some horror in there. Um, and a lot of heartbreak in there is, uh, and another, you know, name massacre here, uh, Gabino Iglesias, uh, his book Coyote Song, you know, and the previous um, Zero Saints, both of those books deserve everybody's attention, and they are, in their way, very important books. Okay, and the other one that would come to mind for me um, is uh, Angel Luis Colon, and that's probably wrong, too. Um, you know the name of the book. What is it? Hell Chose Me? Yeah. 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 Fucking great book. It needs a lot of attention. It needs everybody's love. If you haven't read Angel's work, um, you're fucking yourself and you need to fix that. So there's mine, but, uh, you know, I'm going to bounce that question right back (laughs) at you. So go ahead and answer that fucker. Yeah. (laughs) Before I, excuse me, before I answer that one. I couldn't agree more with the two books that you chose. Uh, you actually turned me on to Gabino's work, and man, those both of those books were incredible. But when I read Coyote Songs in particular, I think last year, I think that was my novel of the year. You know, some of the scenes in that were just gut wrenching, and yeah, like yeah, said, that powerful and i loved like the mosaic style he took with it and like each portion of that story was just i was just captivated the entire time and the way he kind of held it all together i thought it was a great format great writing yeah and speaking of that before we move on um to you let's talk about me um speaking (laughs) of that it's interesting some people like I read that book and I think of that book, although, you know, it's kind of like you say a mosaic. I think of it as a novel. You ask me, what is that book? I will tell you it's a novel. Um, other people will agree with me. A lot of other people, a lot of other people also say, no, it's a fucking collection, including the, the world horror association or <laughs> horror writers association. God, um, some some fucking association. When they nominated him for the Stoker, it was nominated as a collection. You know, uh-huh. it's it's funny you mention that because yeah, like I did call it a mosaic, but I think of it as a novel too. Yeah, <laughs> if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, it's a novel. I guess like in a way. I mean, I I guess in a way, people are they're both right. I'm yeah. right. I'm right, and the people who think it's a collection are right because. It's a it's a novel made up of 
of vaguely interconnected stories. But they're all telling the same fucking story in their way, you know? So. Yeah. And um, as far as Angel's book, man, without getting too much into it, because I know we're going to have him on soon, um, just the characterization throughout that entire novel, it just it blew me away. And, you know, the complex history be- behind the protagonist, Man, that was that was definitely one of my favorite books that I've read so far this year, especially with the crime elements to it. Um, heavy heavy crime elements. It did in its way. It reminded me a lot of um, Baxter's work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally different thing from Baxter, but it really reminded me of it. Yeah, and then as far as the two books that I would choose, which. I can't remember if it's still in print or not, because I know there were some things going on with the publisher and all that, but uh, is Damien Angelica Walter's Paper Tigers. I think that is such a great, great take on, like, the haunting genre. And I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read it, but, like, it just blew me away. It was so unique, and the character work in that, was fantastic um i and you know some people have read it but i don't think i've heard nearly as much about it as i think it should because i think it's just a top-notch excellent novel and i can't wait to uh start reading her one that's coming out this year the dead girls club yeah yeah that one is sitting on my desk here right in front of me. I'm looking at the cover, and it's fucking gorgeous, and it's probably my most anticipated book this year so far. Yeah, I, th- I think that one for sure is definitely one that comes to mind. Um, and the second one, uh, it would be probably Tony Knighton. Um, you probably remember him and other listeners probably remember uh, him from the Dark Visions anthology that came out through Grey Matter. But uh, his book, Three Hours Past Midnight, I believe that's the correct title. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, that was such a great, great crime noir novel. that I blasted through that thing. And not for, you know, I'm kind of biased because, you know, it's set in Philly and that's where I'm from. But, you know, besides that, it was just a perfect, lean, mean, noir story that deserves such a wide audience. Tony, Tony's a hell of a crime writer. And Absolutely. I mean, and he ties into that other conversation we were having about crime writers who write horror and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. First time I read him, it was it was in a horror anthology, the one you mentioned. Yeah. And that was one of my standout favorite stories in that particular anthology i can't remember if it was volume one or volume two yeah i don't either i don't either but um but yeah like you said because that one that one was perfect um a perfect example of that had like kind of almost like a post-apocalyptic sci-fi feel mixed with noir but yeah that the three hours past midnight that was that was such an incredible book, and Tony, I think, deserves a huge audience. 
Oh, yeah. He sent me, after that one in Dark Visions, he sent me a collection of his, a collection of stories, yeah. all, all basically Philly crime stories with some kind of creeping edging toward the horror genre, but not crossing into it, really. Um, and it was an eye-opener. The guy's an amazing writer. And he's a really interesting dude, too. Yeah, I... I haven't heard much from him lately, but I I really really hope that there's a follow up novel coming. Yeah, we'll have to talk to him about that. Make sure he's working on it for us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Tony is a he's a super nice guy. If you ever interact with him, um, and a firefighter, which I find interesting, a firefighter who's a crime writer. That's a that's a story idea right there. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, a, those are good picks, super good picks on both. Um, and the one you mentioned of Damien's, like I say, is the reason I, I am so excited about this new one. But, yeah, and, uh, and also talk about phenomenal, phenomenal short stories. Yeah. Um, I, um, the one, I believe it's called Floating Girls, a documentary. That is one of my all-time favorite short stories. And it's it's so unique in that it's it tells a complete story, but the person telling the story, it utilizes, you know, like newspaper clippings or like video footage. But, and the concept behind it is so, so good. Um, and then her story in Gutted, I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but that was another fantastic one. Absolutely great short stories. Cry Your Way Home is the name of the collection, if anyone hasn't read it, um, that has both of those stories in it. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, yeah, any, anything that, any short story that has Damien Angelica Walter's name on it is going to be gold. I haven't, I've read, oh man, countless stories by her, and I've never read a story by her that I didn't finish the story and go, at least, damn, you know what what I mean? If not right out, fucking wow, you know? which is a common response with her short stories. And that's another interesting subject, um, not to you know burn everything we'll ever have to talk about over the years in one, in one <laughs> podcast, but uh, something I've been thinking about a lot with uh, short stories, okay, is that there are so many of us out here who just love, the fuck out of short stories, right? Yep. But you can get, and I've talked talked with Tony Rivera about this too, and he has some good insights to it. Anthony Rivera, the uh, editor, owner of uh, Gray Matter Press, whatever the fuck he calls himself, he'll correct me no matter <laughs> what I call him. Um, but, uh, but, uh, short stories are seem to be really super popular. Like everybody I know loves short stories. You do, you know. I can't think of a soul who who says no. Nah, I hate short stories, you know. Um, except my little sister, oddly enough. But that's another story. Um, but but if you go to Amazon 
find a really good short story collection that you really, really, really love, right? Um, And uh, look at the star ratings on that motherfucker. Look at, like, the one I mentioned earlier, Song for the Unraveling of the World, right? 11 customer reviews on it. It's a five-star book, but there's 11 fucking reviews on it. And it's a massively fucking great book. So, and you see that a lot. Why, why do you think that is? Especially when you see a book. I'm talking about a book that I've seen, it seems like literally hundreds of people raving about. It's, you know, that's a very good point. And I think there's a lot of things that go into it. One thing, and this is coming from personal experience, is I think as far as like writing the review, like even though some people, you know, they just do quick reviews and, you know, people say any review is a good review. So even like, you know, I really enjoyed reading, insert name of collection, tons of great stories, you know, five stars. But I think people who write, like the more not necessarily in depth but who want to write a review that's a little bit more than that and tackles the content i think it's a little more daunting for them like how many stories do i talk about right right. how much how much do i tell about each story and it's a little daunting for them so they're probably like yeah you know i'll just put five stars but not write anything or I don't even know if, you know, but like, cause even for me, like I write and re- reviews for them and I do the reviews. I love reading them, but I have to say that like writing the review for those is a lot harder. Whereas with a novel, you can, you know, it's one story. You pick a couple elements from each and you're good to go as long as you avoid spoilers. And I think it's a little trickier with collections. And I think that's part of maybe why they don't get as many reviews, but I could be off base. And the other thing is, is just maybe even the way people consume them where, you know, you, you know, everyone reads different. So even novels, like they might read part, set it aside, read something else. But usually with like a novel, you usually read it within a pretty standard time frame, I guess. Whereas with a short story collection, you could go, even if you really dig it, you could be like, okay, I'll read two stories. Then you read a bunch of novels, you read two stories like two months later or, you know, and so it should, they just spread it out maybe. So I think part of it could be the intimidation of writing that review and also maybe just the way they consume that format. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I'm the same way when it comes to writing short story reviews, I, I go into it a little bit intimidated, but you know, I've, and you probably have too, I've developed a method over the years. So I'm less intimidated. Yeah. But I mean, cause yeah, you do have an obligation to speak to the content of the entire book. If you're writing a review, you know, but not necessarily every single story. And like you say, which ones? So, you know, there's that. Um, and your other point? Yeah, Make the, it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The other point um, was just the way people consume them. Where, you know, if you read a uh, novel. Yeah, that's where wanna, I want to go. 
Yeah. Right. I remember now. Sorry. No, um, ADHD stoner moment. Um, <laughs> the way people consume, I, I do that. You probably do that. Yeah. Um, I'll read a, a short story or two, and I, it's kind of like I do with series that I really love, TV series. I'll watch, I'll stream two of them and try to not watch any more, and then stream another or two, you know, and another or two, because I want to savor it. I want to make it last. And I do the same thing with short stories. It's like, okay, I got this whole series of stories by this author, um, and I want to consume it slowly, but that also fucks with my retention if I don't take copious notes because of my memory problems. Um, I could finish a short story collection and have to start it over to write a review of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. People would go, yeah, you know. With me, though, I just, I, it's like, I find it to be really interesting because even I'm guilty of being negligent when it comes to writing Amazon reviews, especially for short story collections. It's like, okay, what's the psychology behind that? But I think you nailed it pretty good there. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting you say that, and, you know, it's just the reality, but I almost wish that there wasn't so much weight placed on those Amazon reviews. Like, yeah, it's a great resource, and, you know, Amazon, let's face it, pretty much dominates the marketplace, but... I wish there wasn't such an emphasis on it. Like you said, and most people, they will post their reviews there. And maybe this, and it's weird that I'm even saying this, maybe it's a bit old school, but you know, there's tons and tons of talented writers out there who run their own sites dedicated to these books. And like, I almost wish more people would seek out reviews there than just being like well i'm already on amazon let's just see what star ratings are on there because that's usually what i do like i'll i'll be like okay i'm not sure about this book and even though it's a little bit more work you know i'll i'll search some other blogs and be like you know what are what are some of my fellow horror reviewers saying about this rather than you know joe schmo on amazon Right, right. There are some really, uh, really credible horror reviewers out there who have the real skinny on what you want to read and, you know, what you should probably just avoid. And those people largely, if you talk to them these days, largely are not on Amazon. You know, so if you're looking for a review that you can take to the bank, that's you're right. That's exactly where you need to go. You know, and I'm not I'm not tooting our own horn. Although, um, I do think, you know, we, we do fit into that category, but beyond us, there are so many, you know, there's Michael Patrick Hicks, there's the Nightworms, you know, with Sadie Hartman, sci-fi and scary, Ginger Nuts of Horror, This Is Horror, all these guys, you know, horror DNA, how can I not mention them? I fucking write for them. Um, sorry, Stewie, if you hear this, I totally planned that that way, um, and, uh, you know, like you say, there's a ton of them, and that's where where you should find your reviews. I agree. Yeah, and, you know, not to take the typical stance on, like, 
bashing Amazon, but, you know, even as far as like ordering books, I try and do it this way as much as I can is, and you know, some publishers, they don't do this. They, you know, for various reasons, you know, they only sell through online bookstores, but if a publishing company, if I know that they do their own mail order, like, Hey, buy this book from us. I'm more apt to go that route anyway. Oh, I am too. And like, you, I don't know if, you know, most people won't have noticed probably, but like we started, you know, we give the convenience of an Amazon link with the books we review, but yeah. we also, if it's available, we also give an indie bound link and we would strongly encourage people to click that indie bound link first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Amazon doesn't need your fucking money. Those people need your money. So. So. Yeah, what else, Rich? <laughs> that, that, you know, that's kind of the other thing that I think is interesting about, like, how earlier I was saying I identify with horror and, you know, the writers and publishers. Because I associate that with that whole punk underground thing and like the mail order thing like there's nothing like getting one of those packages like you know even the nightworms packages when i got uh the mallerman one you know that was cool you know they had you know they have the black bubble mailers that are really cool and they have the stickers on there and tons of cool stuff in it and like some publishers you know they'll throw in some stickers or a bookmark or you know other types of stuff and it just makes it i don't know seem more personable yeah and you know just some nondescript padded envelopes showing up on your door like thanks for ordering from amazon yeah some guys really put together a, a you know like you say, um, Andrew Cole comes to mind, who wrote the book Remains. Yeah. And this is this is just, you know, which is not out yet. It's coming out in the middle of September. I don't know the exact date now. But um, he did exactly what you just said. He sent, just to reviewers, the completed novel, a killer bookmark made by Carly at A Stranger Dream. Dropped you a little, little shout out, Carly. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, um, and you know, some some other bling in there that just made the whole thing that much cooler. And uh, you know, if he does that with reviewers, what does he do for readers who give him money? You know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, not even like that stuff is cool, but even because I get it, you know, authors who may send stuff out themselves or publishers, you know, they might not have the ability to necessarily include a lot of stuff. Right, or the cash. Yeah, but, you know, more times than not, too, you'll get, like, you know, a personal note at least. You know, and that's that's one thing that kind of ties together, like I said, with that whole, like, punk rock idea. Like, I ordered records from Polyvinyl. They're a pretty popular label based out of Illinois, but... You know, you order records from them, and like I said, you'll get stickers or, you know, they'll put, like, candy in there. And, you know, that's all cool, but, like, even, you know, when writers, they send you their book, they'll put, like, a cool little note in there, like, you know, hope you like this or whatever. That stuff is, you know, 
it, it's more personable. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I try and go that route first. Like, I won't lie. I order stuff off Amazon all the time. But if I can, I try and go that route. Yeah, that's the stuff that really that really resonates with you when you can, especially, you know, if you can open to the first p- title page of a book and they've written you a personal little note there, you know, they've they've personalized it for you. Yeah, and another thing is, is most of them will send a bookmark too, and I have a bookmark fetish, so that's really fucking cool too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing, you know, this isn't really a question, but maybe something to just talk about is that's the one thing I like about horror. Um, mostly, you know, I like reading crime, and Ink Heist is a multi-genre site. But, like, horror is the community that I associate with the most. And the one thing that always blows me away, and I'm sure there's other genres that do this too, is how open and accessible the authors are. Whether it be to answer a fan question or offer somebody writing advice, that to me and, like, the friends that I've made through this is one of the biggest reasons i love horror besides you know obviously just digging the work is that for the most part everyone's open willing to help you you know bounce ideas off of um yeah that's an interesting point too is i mean if you think back to you know when when you weren't even alive yet um no seriously though back in the 70s (laughs) and 80s those authors that came out of the 70s and 80s granted they didn't have the tools um, to do it as easily, but they they weren't near as accessible to their readers. Even I mean, even if you could contact them, there were a few exceptions. Um, Jack Ketchum was super super accessible. Joe Lansdale is and was, but for the most part, you know, you don't you can, you can go on to go on to Twitter and talk to Uncle Steve all the fuck you want, and he's not going to say jack shit back to you. You know, you don't exist to him, you know. You know what's funny? Not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but he actually responded to a tweet thread I was a part of today. So I think he does sometimes see him. Yeah, yeah. Or whoever's running his Twitter account, anyway. (laughs) Um, but, But the point being is that there's a new generation of authors, you know, all the Andes we talk to, that are so accessible, but not just the indies. You know, you can, I mean, Josh Mailerman regularly interacts with his with his fan base, his readers. People talk to him. He talks back to them. Um, Lansdale, as I mentioned, Carolyn Kepnes, Megan a- Abbott. Um, there's a pretty big list of people that I've talked to that talk to me, too, all the time. Um that are bigger than I think they should be if they're talking to me, <laughs> you know, because, because authors in the seventies and eighties, they just weren't that accessible. So it's really strange, you know, when you say something to someone like Kathy Koja and she talks back to you and it's like, Oh my God, I will never wash this brain again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And like you said, that's another, that's another thing. And, you know, maybe it's just me. I keep harping on it because it's my perception of it. But I really feel like 
horror is like to literature what punk rock or hardcore metal is to like music you know like the big thing with punk shows was like you could go to that show you'd be like right there you could talk to them afterwards whatever same kind of thing here and yeah a very tight-knit community so and it's an interesting thing too i mean because horror really is the horror genre has always in my experience been been a response to the societal narrative um i mean like in the in the 80s um and you'll be hearing a lot more of me and Bob Pastorella babbling about this, but in the 80s, the splatterpunk element was born, you know, the splatterpunk genre, I would, should say, or subgenre. Um, and it was, it was a response to the societal narrative. It was a response to the, you know, satanic panic and um, Reaganomics and the threat of nuclear war. And, I mean, a bunch of different things going on. And it's also why horror was still thriving in the 80s, you know, whether splatter punk or anything else. But then you look at what we were talking about with Josh Mailerman last week. Um, I think it was last week. Uh, was, I think, that elasticity we were talking about in the horror genre now, you know, that collection of 50 to 100 authors that just really, really... Um, tear the fucking envelope to piece to pieces. Um, yeah. I think that's I think that's the 21st century response to the shit that's going on in our society now as far as authors go. It's what readers want and it's what authors want to write. You know, which came first? That's that's chicken and egg thing, but either way it's it's working for us, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point and you know, like you said, it's it. That's why it's so interesting, because horror, you know, is a very visceral emotion, and especially in those particular periods that you mentioned, and like even now, like that's why maybe I'm off base here because it doesn't necessarily relate to what's going on, but in some ways, some of the works do directly address it. You know. I would say, you know, like you said, in the 80s with Reaganomics and all that, that also birthed, like, hardcore music. But more so, like, hard, it's a very visceral reaction. And the way that it synchronizes with, you know, what's going on around us, I think that's why now, because they almost say that, like, in times where things are really shitty, is where you get great art, not that it's not made in other times either but it seems like you know in those particular moments where things are like the shittiest is when you get like really powerful art and i think that that's why there's so many great horror books you know and other genres but coming out at this time because you know without getting overly political um you know this country is like super divided and there's crazy shit happening all over the place and so much hatred out there that I think that's why we're getting so much great stuff in response to that. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah, yeah. It makes, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and it, like you said, um, so many factors tie into the response to it and, and both on the creative side and the receptive side, 
because I mean, like you know, a lot like you say, a lot of hardcore music was born along with splatterpunk genre. You know, I mean, death metal was born at basically the same exact time. You know, um, which led to a whole bunch of other hardcore shit. You know, music born out of thrash punk and shit like that. You know, and some of it pretty cool shit too. Some of the neo punk wasn't too bad. You know, but. Um, the point being, all those things were responses to what's going on in society. And you and you look around now today and you see the same thing happening with what we have now. Yeah. Only I think our horror is better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, it's just, it's very interesting. And I'm sure there are books about it, but I think someone should do like a, like, I know you guys are doing it with Splatterpunk, but maybe even you should pitch Bob another, like, maybe another type of horror after you guys wrap up your Splatterpunk thing, just to see how, you know, what grew those genres. Um, I would like to, yeah, I I could spend my life intensively studying different subgenres of just this one genre, because there's so many things that you can look at, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, as far as far as subgenres go, and as far as tropes and themes go, you know, um, that that would be an endless well to draw from. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, without uh, maybe get spoiling it too much, um, do you think we should tell people who we have coming on the show? I know we did a little bit with it on twitter but uh absolutely um let's let's go ahead and do that you start so next week we are going to have john fd taff on where we will talk about book two of the fearing series i'm excited about that yeah same here especially after i finished it and i saw what happened yeah I know we, we won't get into that too much, but <laughs> uh, yeah, a minor a minor retraction and correction though. We we will be talking to him next week, but you will not be hearing from him next week. Correct. That sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I guess too. I'll I'll leave the dates out of it then, and just say, and then after that, <laughs> right? We're, we're talking to. <laughs> yeah, we're talking to him. Uh, Always keep in mind that we don't know what the fuck we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Sorry. Uh, No, no, you're all good. I just wasn't sure if we were going to trade off each week or... Uh, (laughs) Oh, oh, I would be happy to jump in and steal Scott Thomas from you. Because we're talking to Scott Thomas the weekend after on the 14th. Um, We're going to talk about Violet... um, and a lot of other stuff, you know us, we go in multiple unexpected directions. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think we have, uh, I think we've been recording minus the breaks, if you, or if you count the breaks for like two and a half hours. Um, yeah, we've, yeah, <laughs> same thing we did with Mailerman last week, it's like, um, wow, the sun's coming up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, it did kind of feel like that, especially since I had a couple of drinks and promptly passed out right after. You drank the whole fucking six pack, Rich. <laughs> Fuck that couple of drink shit. <laughs> well, now the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm sitting here stoned and I've got a beer in me and I'm honest about it. God damn it. I'm going to I'm going to drink five or six more beers before the night's over. Sir, so there you go. <laughs> You're not the only fucking drunk in the party. <laughs> and on that note, the week after <laughs> we have Scott Thomas on the show. Oh, yes. We, uh, we'll be speaking to Chad Lutsky and going over all of his works. Uh, the Pale White, man. That's right. I, I'm excited I to talk to him about that. I was blanking on the title, even though we literally just talked about it. But yeah, there's so much I'd like to talk to him about that book in particular, which I can't wait to get started. And also, you know, his other his other works like Stirring the Sheets and A Foster Home and Flies. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's always that one amazing element about his books that. Um, that really makes you anytime you're holding one of his books in your hand, I'm learning it's, it's time to be really excited about what you're about to read. Um, in spite of the fact that he's going to make you fucking cry your eyes out and even, and even, I mean, be honest about it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I'm sure other people have mentioned this too, but when I first read his book, like, I don't know, the first comparison that I made, even though they both do things a little bit differently, but just tone was John, John F.D. Teff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and to make a very awkward segue, the 28th of September, another bucket list item for Shane here. We will be talking to Laird Barron. Um, we're going to discuss a lot of the shit we discussed today with him, and he's going to be a lot more eloquent, eloquent and intelligent about it. Um, also, we're also going to talk about his Isaiah Coleridge series and crime fiction and, once again, um, a whole bunch of other stuff. So you'll want to you'll pay attention to all of those episodes as they release. Yeah, and that pretty much takes us through the end of September. Um, We have a lot of guests coming up, even in October. We're pretty much full for October. Um, But we'll hold off on announcing that. We have a couple scheduling things to work out. But, uh, yeah, we have tons of great guests coming up for you guys. Um, Some we haven't announced, obviously, and some that we're still working out the details on, but a lot of exciting guests. But yeah, virtually all these people that we just mentioned coming on have new books that have been out for a few months or so, or they have new books coming within the next couple months. And um, you're going to want to get those. Uh, Rich and Shane, on, on every single one of these, except for the Pale White, I think uh, they have our stamp of approval 100%. Yeah, and I'm sure the Pale White will also. Um, the only reason it doesn't yet is because I still have to read it, but I can't uh, wait. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think I think we're both getting pretty tired, Rich, and we need to go watch a movie. 
<laughs> I don't. <laughs> at this point, I don't know if I'll make it through a movie. Maybe an episode of Darker TV yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not Quentin. that I'll fall asleep, but if I pick a movie, it seems like lately yeah. every movie I pick is three hours long. Yeah, and I think I suspect that twenty minutes after we get off of this uh, Skype call, you'll be a sleeping motherfucker. <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. It's only twelve. It's only twelve thirty yeah. here, so. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just messing with you. I have longed to call you that in person for so long. <laughs> that... <laughs> I th- I'm trying to remember if you have yet or not. Nope, this is the first time. I'm pretty sure it's a, it's another bucket list item. <laughs> <laughs> it's We're pretty sure. much just swearing at you as a bucket list item for the most part. <laughs> kind of kinky when you think about it, oh. but. <laughs> I think I laugh so much off air that I don't think I'll get the donkey laugh back. That's what you called um, it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> It's it's that laugh when you're laughing so hard that you're just squealing. <laughs> oh man, okay, I think we better sign off before people get bored of us if they yeah. aren't already. <laughs> this conversation is devolving quickly. Um, but yeah, this is this has been fun. We'll do this again. Um, and I think that's about it for me, Rich. I I'm running out of shit to say as I speak. <laughs> same here but yeah thanks for listening guys and we can't wait for you guys to hear all the episodes we have uh, coming up if you've come this far in this episode you're my fucking hero <laughs> same here so this is rich signing off and and i'm out too <laughs> night everybody right, bye <laughs>